0: Claire Parker and I'm Ashley Hamilton. And and this this is Celebrity Memoir Book Club from our brand new studio, which is ice cold. (laughs) I did warn you to bring a sweater, and then I personally wore a tank top.
1: I could not in my wildest dreams have imagined how cold it could have been in here. Bug got the sniffles (laughs) from hanging out. And she's covered in fur, so I was fucked.
0: Anyway, Ashley, who are we so grateful for this week? This week, I want to give a hearty shout out to Dame for supporting Celebrity Memoir Book Club. Get 10% off your first order at dameproducts.com when you use the promo code WORM. And I want to thank Everly Well for supporting Celebrity Memoir Book Club. Everly Well is digital healthcare designed for you all at an affordable and transparent price. With over 30 at-home lab tests, you'll be able to choose the test that makes the most sense for you to get the answers you need, like the women's health test or the food sensitivity test. Everly Well is offering a special discount of 20% off an at-home lab test at Everlywell.com/slash. and i would like to thank june's journey who doesn't love a good mystery in the hidden object murder mystery game june's journey you'll awaken your inner sleuth and step right into a thrilling adventure set in the heart of the roaring 20s find your inner detective and download june's journey free today on the apple app store or google play claire yes Welcome back. Thank you so much. I forgot how to podcast. (laughs) Do we have any housekeeping up top? I feel like we usually start with keeping a house, but we're in a brand new abode, and so I don't even know where to start. Oh, we'll be back with our monthly show at Nikki's Unisex on July 7th at 7 p.m. And now Claire if you were writing a memoir, what would you title this week as a chapter? Would you even write about this week? Was that, Did anything notable <laughs> happen? Or is this one that Shut we would have been like, I guess we'll leave that one out. This was a real fucking dud. Not really a page turning piece here. I would call it engaged
1: because I'm <laughs> engaged. I don't know. I'm like embarrassed about it. So I don't Why? I don't know. I feel like it's like a lame thing to do and like a lame thing to be excited about. I will say the week before I like kind of had a feeling of was going to happen here. And so (laughs) (laughs) I did specifically tell him this is when it would be, (laughs) should it ever be. And I went to a Ritzia and... Man, if you are in a bad mood and you need someone to cheer you on, go to Aritzia and say you're about to get engaged. I've never felt more supported or celebrated in my life. <laughs> I'm thinking about my parents at my college graduation and they were not as happy for me as the girls at Aritzia were. And that is something I've pocketed now to be like, whenever I'm having a bad day and I just need somebody to be like so fucking happy for me and remind me I deserve to be alive, I'm going to go to Aritzia and be like, I'm engaged. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get more into it on the Patreon because I don't want to like bog the ep down with it here. So if you're interested, well, I'll be like doing the whole story. and like, A play-by-play. Yeah. Uh, just a little I know I'm I can be a bit cagey about my relationship so I will sell it out for cold hard worms <laughs> <laughs> on the Patreon this week and we're also gonna do like an Instagram question box so if you have anything you wanna ask like this is probably the one time I'll be very open and honest cause I'm feeling lovey-dovey <laughs> 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 I'm feeling full of love <laughs> <Boo>. <laughs> I, I know I listen I'm not proud of who I am but unfortunately I like it. it's the truth
0: I've said it once and I'll say it one to two more times I think that you and Mac have one of the relationships I support thank you so much <laughs> I really
1: appreciate that I think part of what makes it supportable is that I really keep it to my goddamn
0: self. Also that I do genuinely believe you guys love each other and support each other. And I yeah. don't think either one of you is settling or making a bad choice. Thank you so much. I feel that way, yeah. <laughs> That's what makes it easy to support is that I think it's like healthy and good on both ends. We're both really happy. I can honestly say yeah. that. <laughs> I'll probably be doing
1: like little installments of wedding updates, but I'll keep it on the Patreon because I don't want to like...
0: It's not going to be a wedding pod.
1: Yeah, I don't want it to be a wedding pod. I don't want it to be an engagement pod. Ashley. Yes. If you are a celebrity and you were to write a chapter about last week. what would it be called?
0: I will say, honestly, I think my week could have been left out of the book. I would have called it just, like, keeping it sleazy. I took it real easy. Very Kesha. First of all, I will say, as much as I, like, think that my life actually is not that hard or busy, I have over the last year, because I recently weaned off of freelancing there's always been something that I can or should do at literally any given point in time. I think that that's the modern predicament. Yeah. For us, there's like always a TikTok that could be made, an Instagram carousel that could be crafted. There's like just something that could always be done, even if you don't have to do anything. So the fact that we had a week off and the fact that I'm done with, like I used to just on a Sunday, I'd be like, all right, I have like an easy Sunday. i will just watch a movie. And there's some email copy that I can draft. Like I would always be doing something or not doing it And then thinking about how I have to do it and then just constantly being stressed out over something that really should take me two minutes. So the fact that this week I really had time to just chill. I feel refreshed. I feel revived. I feel jazzed to be here. I'm so excited. It's a toxicity of hustle culture. I hate to hustle. We're grinding ourselves
1: down into smithereens.
0: Yeah, and I say, hey, take that bone dust and sculpt it back up into a person shape because you shouldn't be grinding that hard. You should be floating poetry by a (laughs) hamilton um you know i hate poems (laughs) should we get into this week's book oh boy we should this week's book is the absolute opposite vibe of my week it takes everything that i just said and it turns it inside out flips it on its head and says shut the fuck up bitch that's not what we do Bitch, bitch, bitch,
1: bitch, 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 bitch is what the book is called. We are doing How to Be a Boss Bitch by Christine Quinn of Selling Sunset fame. Neither of us have seen Selling Sunset. You've seen a season, right?
0: Okay, here's the thing is I've definitely seen more than a season. Every time we talk about Selling Sunset, I go and try to watch it and then I look on my Netflix. There are like three and a half seasons marked as watched, and I have no recollection of any of it.
1: Yeah, it is just like a fever dream that happens in the background. (laughs) I've tried to watch it. It's like the one reality TV show that I cannot get behind, which is hard, because I think for a lot of people who don't watch reality TV, it's the one show they do like. Interesting. And I cannot see what they like about it. I think maybe if I give it four more seasons, I'd get involved, and I think I will do that for a Patreon episode. Yeah. Even if you can't drag yourself. I will watch it. I just won't remember. I think it'll get into your subconscious, like, 50 first dates. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) In, like, 30 years, you'll be doing abstract paintings of Christine Quinn's weird fucking face
0: (laughs) i saw her in a dream
1: (laughs) no you saw her on tv and you were wide awake so let's get into it how to be a boss bitch so christine something in the middle quinn she doesn't ever say her middle name or really where she's from or really anything
0: well we know she's from
1: texas
0: the south
1: Texas is like truly the biggest state to not give a specific city of.
0: I feel like she eventually moves to Dallas when she leaves home. So it must have been like not that far from Dallas. Like, she lived in driving distance of Dallas. <laughs> right. Which could be
1: anything. <laughs> no, So Christine, no middle name Quinn, was
0: born October 14th, 1988. She opens with an introduction where she walks us through a typical Tuesday, a Tuesday in the life of Christine Lynn Quinn,
1: (laughs) Christine Marie Quinn,
0: (laughs) Christine Ann Quinn.
1: (laughs) Let me set the scene. She says, and so I guess dear listener, let me set the scene for you. It's a gorgeous sun-soaked day on the Adriatic Sea somewhere off the coast of Croatia. The temperature is a perfect 87 degrees and we're surrounded by glimmering water, so stunning the Instagram filters wish they could do it justice. Hashtag Wanderlust. Can I say? Wanderlust in my head has kind of like a hippy-dippy quality of like you're living in hostels and you're in sweatpants and Birkenstocks seeking out adventure. I don't think it's being on a yacht. I wouldn't say you're wandering when you're like ruddered.
0: <laughs> I mean, I guess wandering. Do boats, can you even steer them or do you just kind of... No, I think you just have
1: to go in the direction of the ocean, which is... Just like
0: set adrift and move with the yeah. tides. She's in a
1: three-story, 180-foot yacht with some close friends celebrating the wrap of Selling Sunset's Smash Third Season as first class all the way.
0: What do you think the three stories were?
1: Adam and Eve. <laughs> the Fall. And then who are those two brothers? That's like the basis of all Western literature is the Bible. Uh. (laughs) So I am guessing her yacht was based on the Bible. (laughs) Anyway, then she goes on to say, it's every overconfident drunk person's best friend and every Malia from below decks worst nightmare, which is something I love about this book. The pop culture references in this book are so contemporary that this book in four weeks will no longer be relevant. It's like reading an Us Weekly magazine, like nothing they're talking about here. could be read by a person tomorrow and stay relevant. It's the most timed book. It's the opposite of a classic. Opposite of the Bible. (laughs) But based on. (laughs) But do you know what I mean? Like Malia from Below Deck is such a deep cut Bravo character.
0: Yeah. To reference that on the first page, who is this book for? So this intro like most intros does a classic setting of the scene it really illustrates a trauma like a core moment that defines her entire life and in this she's setting the stage to reveal that trauma or that problem which is she's doing an interview with Vogue And she lets loose a piece of information that she has been hiding from the world. She is petrified of what will happen if this gets out.
1: She says, what I don't know at this point is that I'm about to drop a bomb that will change not only my life, but other people's lives too.
0: So I will say, if you guys don't want to have your lives changed, I would not proceed. (laughs) I would love to ask Christine Quinn how she would define
1: people, lives, and change. And then I would ask her to list like a single person in a single way that their life was changed. So now we're going to reveal
0: the information. So once again, if you do not want that information, skip ahead. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have a high school diploma or even a GED. I have an eighth grade education. (laughs)
1: She has Chrishell disease. If you guys don't remember, we did Chriselle, her co-stars book, a few months back with Who Weekly. They have the same funny personality trait in common, which is they really think that they come across as old money. (laughs) Like highly educated old money. Like they both are like, I don't want to shock you, but... I'm not a Kennedy.
0: (laughs) I know you look at me, a woman who tried to be an actor, failed, and then became a real estate agent, and then luckily ended up on reality TV and think, God, who was the angel on her shoulder (laughs) from day one? The silver spoon that is still dripping out of her mouth. I mean... (laughs) Christina's like, it's my duty in
1: this book to let you guys know that you can be me because I was you. We're all just girls from Texas with an eighth grade education, and all it takes is hard work, and... A lot of sugaring, honestly.
0: Yeah, I will also say she talks a lot about high school in this book. For someone who... For someone who has an eighth grade education. She keeps saying eighth grade education, but she went up through like
1: 11th grade. I don't think it's from your last degree. I think it's from your last year.
0: Yeah, because I don't think eighth grade is really a degree.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So then she gets to the part of the book. This section is called Call Me Your Bitch.
0: (laughs) Call Me By Your Bitch. (laughs) And I'll call you by mine.
1: (laughs) And she says, let's get one thing straight right up front. If you're going to call me a bitch, I'm going to take it as a compliment. Bitch is just a name that you give to people when you don't know what to do with them or they make you uncomfortable or you push them outside their comfort zone. There's a lot of second person in that sentence, actually. The you in that sentence is both the third person and the first person. A lot of people. Anyway, so then she's like, I'm gonna
0: teach you how to reclaim the word bitch. I'm gonna call you a bitch, I'm a bitch, and I'm proud to be a bitch. Particularly after Selling Sunset first came out, I heard that all too familiar refrain about myself. Oh my God, she's such a bitch. But why? Because I'm saying the things that everyone else is thinking but they don't have the balls to say? Does that really make me a bitch or does that make me good at what I do? Being a bitch.
1: It's funny because then she goes on to be like, what I did on that show was play a professional bitch.
0: (laughs) And just cuz I was good at it that makes me a bitch. I will say like when I look at like who's a great real estate agent, I'm not like it's that person who tells the truth about their coworkers. <laughs>
1: I also just love the idea. You're like, yeah, I was a bartender, but just because I shut up every day and did my job as a bartender, does that make me a bartender? And it's like, I, I don't know. I thought yes. So then she goes on to say, which is very different from Chriselle. Kristal's like, I'm just being me all the time, and I didn't even know there were cameras there, and I'm just the sweetest little angel. And she's like, they didn't all like me, and a lot of them mistook my character on the show for the real Christine Quinn, and they still do. Then I realized, so what? You can't make everybody happy all the time, so you might as well focus on making yourself happy. She like does a lot of backs and forth thing in this book of saying opposite things at once so she'll be like that wasn't the real me I was playing a character that looked like a bitch and then everyone thought I was a bitch and that was so mean but also being a bitch is the best thing you can be and also the reason I was so good at that show is because I was authentically mean the entire time so
0: I'm never gonna apologize for who I am but also that wasn't really even me I was doing drama I'm good at my job she's like you know that scene where I locked the keys out of the house that is obviously fabricated for drama I would never do that that is a bad real estate agent move and I'm a good real estate agent I also quit being a real estate agent (laughs) okay so anyway so the reason for this book. Let's get to it. Bottom line, this is a nothing off limits in your face guide for how to break free of what you think is holding you back and finally own your life in all of its eccentric, unique, passionate and unedited glory. What will they call you when you secure the bag and then step into your true boss bitch power? Let's find out. So this book does something that I find really fascinating. And it is assume that you want tips. That's what saying, I was about to say to get into the next... Chapter, hey bitch, get off the couch. Very Rachel Hollis-esque. Yeah, I mean, she literally has a section in this chapter called Bitch, Stop Apologizing, which is just one one hop, skip, and a jump away from Girl, Stop Apologizing.
1: (laughs) It does assume that you are reading this book because you wish you could be Christine Quinn, which is uh, maybe. (laughs) I guess Christine wanted to be Christine Quinn. I would never want to be Christine Quinn.
0: I don't have a problem with Christine Quinn. I just think when I look at her life and I think, should that be my life? Uh, the answer is
1: no I guess I don't have a problem with Christine Quinn because I don't want to be Christine Quinn so I'm just like yeah you do you you know when you when somebody's like competitive with you and you're like oh we're playing different games like congrats on winning bingo I'm playing that's literally me and my
0: dog all the time (laughs) she'll like get a toy and like rub it in my face and I'll be like I literally didn't want it (laughs) (laughs) that's what
1: Christine Quinn's book is it's her like rubbing a dog toy in your face (laughs) and being like yeah
0: like you can't get this and I'm like Okay.
1: (laughs) I wrote this book because I wanted to help women step into their power, take control of their lives and not even fucking flinch if someone calls them a bitch. Because like I said around here, we wear that word like a badge of honor. So then she goes, I could already hear you saying to yourself, I could never make that kind of money, dress that way, catch that kind of man, have that kind of career because of excuses A to Z. There's a lot of variables in that sentence. (laughs) I know that you're thinking that I somehow had it easier because I was a model or I'm tall and skinny or I have a lot of money. But bitch, let me tell you something. Things were not always 100 for this girl. (laughs) So Christine Quinn then goes into the trauma of her upbringing, which is the following. My parents were incredibly strict.
0: That is hard. She said she wanted to go out to dinner sometimes and her parents were quite frugal. And so then they didn't go out to dinner.
1: My life was completely suffocating and at times felt like a prison. I always had to be home at a certain time.
0: (laughs) A curfew. Can you imagine being like, you don't know what it was like for me. I had a curfew. (laughs) I would like to actually backtrack. What you just said, one page earlier, she says, I've gotten where I am in life because I took the lemons that life handed me and made classe azul lemon drops. I didn't do that by whining. I did it with a ton of hard work, relentless hustle, and the confidence that everyone loves a superhero with a gritty backstory. So once again, the backstory that she is not whining about, just explaining the grit is a curfew.
1: Yeah, I mean, she goes on to say, I did not have it easy. I wasn't dealt a good hand early in life. My cards were shit. This book really is about seven concepts that have been written a hundred times. Like, all of those sentences, and then I know this will come as a shock, but my life was not always Rolexes and Rolls Royces. Like, she just keeps saying it over and over and over and over again. of course it wasn't,
0: but I will say, I feel like she has a chip on her shoulder because as we'll get to, so she talks about her friends from growing up were, like, crazy rich. So she was definitely from a town that had very rich people. And they were like lower middle class, maybe even middle middle class, maybe even upper middle. (laughs) And so she felt very poor. It's like very Leandra Medine disease when like the people around you have a lot of money and you're not. She talks about a mortgage. So her parents owned a house. I just feel like having people around you in mansions, she was like, I was the poorest kid in my quite rich town. I just have to continue
1: this list of things that made her life hard. So she had that curfew. I was rarely able to watch TV and definitely not allowed to go to the movies and it was a hard no on fast food or soda. I remember sneaking in cans of Dr. Pepper and pretending to cough when I opened them up so that my parents couldn't hear it or whenever we'd be driving down the freeway telling my parents that I had to pee just as we were passing a McDonald's so that maybe we could go in. Basically, I was told no constantly. Can you believe that this bitch was given only home-cooked food? (laughs) And then she goes on to say... Part of this had to do with my parents' religious beliefs. We went to church every Sunday. Is that even religion in Texas to go to church once a week? I feel like that's pretty basic. I feel like that's just social hour. Like that was McDonald's to them. (laughs) she but some of it had to do with the fact that my mother for as long as i could remember had been surrounded by illness and death she saw her 21 year old perfectly healthy brother die of leukemia her father died of parkinson's she herself had lupus Raynaud's syndrome and rheumatoid arthritis so bad that her fingers had fused together she also survived breast cancer twice needing a double mastectomy by the time she was 40 at one point when i was in eighth grade we thought she wasn't gonna make it so i'm sorry that she didn't let you have soda <laughs> she had a pulmonary embolism and needed open heart surgery But then she had again in 2020. We never hear about this again. We never hear about her parents again. We don't know what their relationship was like now. We don't know if they're proud of her. We get one chapter about how her mom spent her entire life in the hospital with cancer, basically. And then she's just like, anyway, they never took me out to dinner.
0: (laughs) First of all, I don't want to like give her parents too much credit because maybe they work absolute cunts but I think that those foods are bad for you and I think if you like live in a family plagued by disease and cancer you're like hey let's avoid the additives that the FDA is saying causes cancer. <laughs> a lot of people call that good parenting to limit
1: television watch have a curfew and not go to McDonald's. Is she giving her little son now McDonald's? You're telling me that this billionaire is taking her son to McDonald's regularly to be a good mom? To be like, I learned from the mistakes of my parents. We eat McDonald's in this house.
0: (laughs) McDonald's is like a huge trigger for her in relationships. We'll get to that later. Okay, so I keep on saying that but I do want you guys to know that she does that all the time in this book where she'll reference something and be like more on that in chapter six. This is truly a textbook. She's like reference page 32 for... (laughs)
1: But then she also writes it as a textbook in the sense that she doesn't think you've read any of it. Yeah. So she'll introduce you to the same character like three or four chapters in a row and you're like, yeah, I know. I was just on page 24 where you talked about him the first time and she'll be like, I was dating this guy. Let's call him Mr. V. The next chapter She's like, anyway, when I was 21, I was dating this guy. We could call him Mr. V. I was like, no, I know.
0: We already already established that. So she has a hard time in high school.
1: She just isn't going. She has undiagnosed ADD, which as we know is the plague of our generation.
0: Yeah. It is worse than her mom's double mastectomy. It is so much worse. (laughs) They tell her you can't keep going to school here. So she gets sent to an alternative school. Well, first they try homeschooling, but her mom is. Well,
1: first before that, they send her to like the special needs school. She was pulled out of classes and sent to the room for the special kids who needed an aid. And then she was homeschooled. And then she gets sent to an alternative school. Her explanation for why she wasn't good at school, she goes, always being told, be here, do this. I could never understand why they could say, hey, there's a test on Friday at 10.30 a.m. I didn't know how I was going to be feeling then or if I was going to be able to focus. My branches didn't work that way. It needed more flexibility and space to do its thing. I loved being like, who gave school the right to determine when
0: class would be? <laughs> I should be taking tests at my leisure. Well, but then she does get to take tests at her leisure with homeschooling and they like cannot pull it together. It turns out her leisure is never. (laughs) (laughs) And then I do want to give her credit here, but she doesn't give herself credit. I do think that with your mom in and out of the hospital on the brink of death when she's in eighth grade, maybe that had an effect that she like does not think about at all. I
1: know we try not to do external research, but I did watch an interview with her where she says in that interview that her mom pulled her out of school so that they could spend more time together because she was scared she was going to die. And so it had been done to have them be home together. But in this book, she makes it very clear that she was failed out of school. She got in trouble for truancy. Do you guys know about that?
0: Yeah, I know about it from New York Minute. (laughs) (laughs) So, so yeah,
1: her alternative school it was one of those programs where you go to class for a few hours a day along with other kids who couldn't make it to the regular school system. We're talking drug dealers, gangbangers, girls who had gotten pregnant at 15, girls who had gotten picked up by their pimps at the end of the day, kids who lit fires in their schools or sent other kids to the hospital. So She would work at Sonic from 6am to 11am. Then her mom would pick her up and then she would go to school from 12 to 4.
0: She said, we may have flunked out of our regular high schools, but my classmates were certified geniuses. These kids were running drug rings at 15. I figured out that I wasn't dumb. It was just that school doesn't teach you what you actually need to know in real life. And I will say, running a drug ring sounds really hard, and those kids do seem smart, but I don't know what she had to do with that. It is smart to make a lot of money by selling drugs. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good idea. (laughs) So then for her 17th birthday, she was planning to skip school, and someone gave her weed, but then someone saw that person slipped wheat into her bag. So then they told the principal, she got sent to the principal's office, and the principal was basically given the choice of calling the cops or not and chose to call the cops. And so her parents did not bail her out of jail for three days. Which is tough. That is bad. And she references her time in prison a lot.
1: I also wonder if I believe that story that she had never done drugs in her life and that some guy just slipped weed into her bag without her knowing and somebody happened to oversee it
0: and tattled on her to the principal. Does that sound like a true story? No. She said she used all that time to take inventory of the things that she wanted to do with her life and the bullshit that she was completely done with. School. She says, that was my get off the couch moment. I knew then and there that I had waited too long
1: for my life to start. She was 17. I mean, I don't even think legally your life can start. I had a choice sitting in that jail cell. I could have fallen for the sob story that I was some kind of piece of shit who couldn't get her life together. The story that people were trying to write about my life. Or I could use all of this frustration and angst to power my transformation, to move me forward. Well, let me tell you, I wasn't about to let a bunch of people who didn't even know the real me dictate my storyline. This became a major theme in my life and served me very well when it came to Selling Sunset. The Christine narrative is not up for grabs. This is a funny thing to say because then the rest of the book she complains that that they like weren't telling her story right. Edited it and manipulated it and like completely misrepresented who she was making
0: people hate her. So like what are you talking about Christine? I'm a bitch with a purpose. I'm not just a bitch to be a bitch. And my good friends will tell you if I'm being a bitch to you, it's probably because you deserve it. So another main theme throughout this book is that if anyone is mean to her, they're being a ruthless cunt. And if she's being mean to them, it's because she knows what's best and she is speaking the truth. So she
1: decides after she gets out of jail that she's like going to run away from home and start a new life. She finds an apartment in Dallas, drives there when her parents are out grocery shopping. And is like, I'm never fucking coming home, bitches. And she doesn't. And she goes on to be like, high school and school pursuing you in all these boxes, but those aren't even the real life boxes. And I, I mean, God
0: bless. I do think if school's not for you, like go on. I do think I don't pressure- think college is important for a lot of people. I don't think that school is the end all be all, but I do think that having like structure while your brain is still forming, there's like a reason for it.
1: I also do mm-hmm. think that you cannot write a book about how you became so financially successful when what you did was marry. Yeah. I don't think you can be like, I'm a boss bitch, and all it took was my husband who sold an
0: $800 million company. According to her, she doesn't have a official diploma, but she did graduate from the school of hard knocks, magna cum laude. And then she goes on to be like, I'm grateful
1: for how hard my life was. Was my life more difficult than all my friends who spent mommy and daddy's money getting fancy degrees that they barely use? Fucking right it was. I look at those kids now, and so many of them are still in the same place in their lives but not her. I spent time surviving and grinding and making my own way, which has made me a lot
0: stronger and a lot more savvy. One of the things that she did to survive and grind is when she got to Dallas, she wanted to get a job as a bartender. And she talks about that ruthless cycle that honestly everyone has dealt with, the bullshit system that requires you to have experience in order to get a job, but getting a job is the only way to get experience. So lame. It is lame. So she says she had to just fudge her whole resume. And she says that she graduated college from juilliard so she says she got she graduated from juilliard sure enough right out of the gate i was hired as a bartender
1: i figured that if i was going to stretch the truth i was going to go for the goddamn gold it's so
0: funny to be like you need a degree from juilliard to get a job as a bartender in this town (laughs) also the idea that anybody would believe her she was 18 years old and had already graduated from juilliard
1: (laughs) and then she went to where all of the juilliard graduates go to try to make it big in hollywood Dallas (laughs)
0: so then she starts also pursuing modeling in Dallas because she had a passion for clothes she's not like you guys she grew up wanting to be a
1: model because I'd always been captivated by the cover girls I'd see on the magazines in the grocery store and CVS I just want to say they that's their job like that's why they were put on the covers because they were thought to be captivating to look at. I'm not like you I find models beautiful to look at (laughs) (laughs) And that was really inspiring to me because I also wanted to be beautiful to look at.
0: Okay, so she tries to get an agent. She's like doing kind of test shoots here and there with people she finds, I think, just randomly. She was sending these photos to agencies. They weren't accepting her. And she had one agency that she had her sights on that she really wanted to get signed with and they would not return her calls. So she decides to go there in person. She says, I thought they're only seeing pictures of me. They don't really know the real me or my personality. I have something that all these other pretty girls don't have. I will say... If all they're getting is pictures of you and what you're trying to do is model, (laughs) be someone who's photographed, (laughs) what they need is pictures. With models, it really is pictures. Or who your parents are. Or who your parents are. And as we learned, her parents were Christians who didn't eat fast food. <laughs>
1: the worst kind of people.
0: <laughs> anyway, so she goes in and she says, I've got something those pretty girls don't. Please give me a chance. My unique personality was what set me apart, blah, blah, blah. And I will say, how does she know those other girls don't have a personality? She gives up me, like, I have something those other girls don't have. You don't know those girls. She has a real Holly Madison disease, which is, I'm not just a hot blonde girl.
1: I'm a soul. And then she's like, anyway, all the hot blonde girls in the world are mean. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody else has a soul. (laughs) She says the phrase, I have more than what those pretty girls have. How many times in this book? Like seven to 12. I was going to say seven to 1200 It's like (laughs) on almost
0: every page. It's a word search. It's a where's Waldo book of that one sentence. (laughs) Then she starts trying to get acting roles too, but eventually the novelty wore off. The only roles I was getting asked to audition for were cheerleader or dumb blonde or bimbo. I'd completely nail the audition, and yet somehow I wouldn't get the job. As I said, I knew I was an amazing actor, and I'd always show up prepared, but I felt as if I was constantly being rejected. I'd be like, it literally says you're looking for someone 5'9 with blue eyes and blonde hair. What the actual fuck? I will say, it just sounds like maybe she was bad at acting. I cannot imagine the confidence. To be like, I fit the description, and I showed up. Why not me? Something else is happening I'm a
1: great actress. I keep showing up for those roles I'm perfect for and they still hate me. <laughs> it's their fault. I don't, I don't know. I, God bless her. Listen, I do think to be that confident and delusional is not just a skill, but the foremost skill in the world. Yes. And I do think that that is the difference between successful people and not successful people. I mean, like, she
0: literally has a whole book that consists of nothing. I mean, she says about 30 times in the back half of this book that she is without a doubt expecting this to be a New York Times bestseller. And maybe it was.
1: And I think to her it is. Do you know what I mean? I do think one of the beauty things, one of the beauty things of Quinn Quinn Christine.
0: Are you okay?
1: I'm sorry. I was just on a different part of the
0: world, so I'm putting the noun first, the adjective second. That's how they speak in Italy. So one of the beauty things about her is that she made up definition like the actual thing even if it's a proper noun doesn't matter it's what the concept means to her so i think that by virtue of writing and publishing a book this is a new york times bestseller tell them the story of her husband okay so we're skipping ahead but she has a husband who we were googling to try and figure out how he made money and she says he went to mit <laughs> But he he was, like, a software developer. But he did not go to MIT. He went to, like, the College of New Jersey...
1: The way that Kleenex means tissue,
0: that's what like a lot
1: of things are to her. Like she'll be like, oh, it's a New York Times bestseller. And that just means it's like a book that she deems successful.
0: Right. And so like going to MIT to her is like any smart engineer. (laughs) Smart engineer like went to MIT. I'm trying to think of other euphemisms.
1: Things don't mean anything to her, but in her world that doesn't matter. And so in that sense, she's not wrong. Do you
0: know what I mean? Yeah. So in an interview where she was asked to clarify, she's like, yeah, he was at MIT. The other day, he went there for a meeting. He went to MIT.
1: Like, <laughs> <laughs>
0: he walked in the building. How would you say that? <laughs> Did you go to Target today? How would you phrase it? <laughs> went to Target. That's what I thought.
1: <laughs> so finally, one day, I got the call that I was up for a part in a movie called Shark Night 3D, the biggest project I'd ever auditioned for. And so she gets it by like flailing around the room and pretending to die by shark. <laughs> and I have to say, if I ever heard, hear the words Shark Knight 3D, this gets referenced a constantly. lot.
0: Constantly. So she did die in the first five minutes. But if you guys are looking to see Christine Quinn in all her acting glory, she gets discovered by a manager after doing Shark Knight 3D. And she decides, in order to take it to the next level, she has to move to Los Angeles. So she moves to LA with her Shark Knight 3D credit under her belt and a manager. She goes, I hate to be one of those people that was like, I was just discovered in a mall, but I really
1: was discovered. My manager saw me in a movie and called (laughs) me up and said, "Yeah, I want to manage you. And I was like, okay, that's like fundamentally different. That is how managers operate. They see that you're already getting success in the industry. And then they come in to be like, I'll help you. That's very different than someone seeing you walk around in the mall with your mom.
0: But then she feels very objectified by the industry. All they want her to do is be sexy. And she's like, that's not who I am. So she decides that she had to change it up she decides to give real estate a try and before she even decided to pursue real estate she actually met Jason Oppenheim because he was friends with one of her exes and then he was like well if you end up doing real estate call me so she gets her real estate license calls him then they do like a funny billboard yeah they do sexy billboards a la sir vanderpump rules and then a a producer saw it and was like let's make this a show but she says i work my fucking ass off playing the game spending entire days filming for weeks on end making binge worthy drama and building a platform that opened doors for tons of high profile collaborations the bottom line is this there were so many times when i was knocked down and i could have gone home pulled on some sweats gotten tits deep in a pint of Ben and Jerry's while hate scrolling everyone I went to high school with I could have gone back to the safety and familiarity of Texas I could have complained to everyone I came across about how life just isn't fair or that if only I had more money more connections about our family and name or a fancy college degree I would have had more luck where would that have gotten me not one inch closer to living the life that I want to live or being the person that I knew I was meant to be so no I didn't quit I pushed shoved scraped and clawed my way through and using all of the boss bitch lessons that I'm going to teach you in this book I will say she's doing a lot of complaining.
1: All she does is complain. And then we'll get to like how she actually did a lot of work and she doesn't work much. She had
0: a high school job and that was the bulk of it. She's mostly grateful for the hustle. Oh my God. And then she throws her friend. One of her best friends growing up is this girl named Amanda. Amanda was fucking loaded. Her dad was the CEO of Radio Shack. And she talks about how Amanda had everything but did nothing with her life and said her parents gave her everything except the most important possessions that money can't buy. Hustle, ambition, and drive. This is like a real John McEnroe thing to call out someone who's already not doing well and be like, hey, listen, I'm writing a book and I think it's important that we use you as a lesson of what sucks.
1: Also... Amanda was her only friend. She talks about how not that many people were friends with her growing up. And Amanda not only was her one friend, but Amanda's family would take her in regularly and treat her like a daughter when her mom was in the hospital. It's a really weird person to use as an example of failure. To be like, nobody liked me except for this one girl who ended up a waitress. (laughs) A
0: loser. Can you believe nobody else liked me? And it's like, yeah, I can. I can. And then she says one of my favorite lines in this whole book. I grew up with the very real knowledge of how high the stakes can be if you don't succeed. I knew that this country can be the most wonderful place to live or it can be the most cruel if you can't make your rent or afford health care. Did you guys know that? That America is fun if
1: you're rich and not fun if you're not? And I love being like, and that's not a problem for me because I became rich. So then she goes on to do Get Bitchy. Throughout this book, you're going to learn some of my favorite lessons for living your best boss bitch life. And to help you implement these teachings, I've sprinkled in some get bitchy exercises to put them in motion. So she gives you all these things that you should use to become a boss bitch like her. It's a lot of manifestation. And But this one is my favorite because it makes almost no sense. <laughs> For this lesson, I want you to understand that nothing is permanent, not even a Sharpie. A Mr. Clean Magic Eraser can kick that pen's ass any day. Think about that. If the gold standard of long-lasting permanence isn't even real, what does that mean for your past? And she goes, as much as you might think that people care about you and your business, no one's writing your life story in Magic Marker. Can you imagine being like, what could be more permanent than a Sharpie? (laughs) But also then she's saying nobody is writing your life in a... Magic marker. Believe me, they care way too much about themselves. Whatever horrible things have happened, it doesn't matter. That's because you always have the Mr. Clean magic eraser in your hand. It was always there to lift away whatever mistakes you may have made, the life you thought you had to live, or the person you thought you had to be. Now, I want you to think about one of the low points in your life. Really stare at it. How did it make you feel? Now that it's over, what if you took your magic eraser and started to dull around the edges? Could you look at it with your rearview mirror instead of through your windshield? I want you to start to retell that story to yourself, but this time, take ownership of it. What story? I'm so I, lost I don't know but also like so you're not erasing it you're reframing it yeah so it is permanent yeah but your perspective changes sure. so really you should magic eraser your eyeballs <laughs> <laughs> the mixed metaphors because first she's like Sharpie is permanent except for magic erasers but nobody's writing anything permanently but also some things are permanent which are your mistakes but if you take a magic eraser to it they look different but they're not gone but they define you differently if you change your
0: perspective yes yeah. That's oh, an- <laughs> yeah, no, when you say it that way. <laughs> Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So then she gets to chapter two, the five boss languages. I can't believe we're at chapter two. Language. We're like an hour in. <laughs> well, most of the information in this book was in chapter one. Most of it was in the intro and the
1: epilogue. She tells two actual stories, and they're
0: yeah. bookended. <laughs> anyway, so we're just going to speed through the five boss bitch love languages. She says... Instead of jumping into the deep end, we first need to do baby bitch boot camp. This starts with digging into the deep stuff. What do you value? What do you want? You need to get clear on what's most important to you in life so that you can tailor your goals, your work, your relationships to protect those values. That is good advice. Figure out what you actually care about. I think that we've talked about this a lot before. Instead of looking at the lens of what are the people around you doing and how should you be competing with them, you have to figure out like what do you actually want and what things should you be doing to make those goals a reality. That's super mm-hmm. important. That's not what she's talking about at all. She's talking about the five boss bitch love languages which are the diva boss bitch, the undercover boss bitch, the matriarch boss bitch, the creative boss bitch, and the executive boss bitch. She gives a little quiz so you can figure out what kind of boss bitch you are and then explains these boss bitch types. And essentially it boils down to bosses in different jobs.
1: Yeah, so are you like an admin, a mom an artist or a performer;
0: those all are different industries know. that require different skill sets. I didn't know that there's in the creative boss bitch and the performance boss bitch. The diva boss bitch is like more of a um, actress,
1: whereas the creative one is a graphic designer.
0: Yeah, like a creative boss bitch works in advertising, and a diva boss bitch might work in fashion.
1: So then she says, once you figure out what kind you are, write it down in a sentence or two about who you are and what your primary motivation is. I'll go first. I am a diva boss bitch and I will always find freedom in every area of my life. Opportunities are endless. Money flows to me tenfold. I am happy, healthy, wealthy, and loved. Oh yeah, we skipped it. When she was in jail, she realized the thing that matters most to her is freedom. Yes.
0: One thing that's unique to her is she didn't like being in jail because she didn't (laughs) like feeling close. But it was good for her to know because she was able to make a mantra out of that. Yeah. Anyway, so she loves freedom. And I actually do think that if you skip everything in this chapter besides that first paragraph that I read and this last paragraph, that isn't bad advice. No, I agree. To say like, here is who I am. Here is what I want. And those things will flow to me. that's, That's good. Mantra that. So then chapter three, it costs a lot to look this cheap. So that's where we get to her style, which she's apparently known for. She says, Mm. according to the official Christine Quinn guide for life, style is the external expression of your most internal self. How's that for some not so dumb blonde shit? It's not much, Christine. (laughs) I have to tell
1: you, that's the smartest, deepest thing you've ever come up with. You need to understand like that's a literal definition. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, style are things that go on the outside of your body. <laughs> and you pick them with something from the inside of your body. <laughs> Thoughts. <laughs> Later in this book, uh, her husband desc- explains to her the concept of a personality. And her mind is so blown, she has to
0: share it with us. She really doesn't know about like the inside of you. <laughs> it's something she like recently learned about. She says, in a city of so many tents, how are you ever able to set yourself apart? Style. So she talks about how you had to find your style. And she also says it doesn't really matter what someone's wearing you can't tell if it's a $5 pair or a $5000 pair of shoes unless they're Louboutins then you can tell from ways away and that's why it's important to wear Louboutins
1: so then she says my first version of my own style came from when I was 20 years old I was working at a bar in Dallas engaged to a guy who I wasn't sure I'd actually end up marrying one day this gorgeous well dressed 40 year old man with blue eyes slicked back blonde hair sat down at the bar he looked me up and down and said you'd look great in Valentino dress and a pair of Louboutins how's that for Ballsy and she goes this is when i discovered my style would you believe that her style is just really expensive designer shit
0: <laughs> yeah she like figures out her true sense of self which is it's unique to her because other people can't afford it and that's why it's unique so she takes him up on this he's like let me take you out to lunch and take you shopping
1: so they do and she goes he spent almost a hundred thousand dollars on me we're talking full-on pretty woman montage without the prostitution vibes
0: except for she does later say like he was fully her sugar daddy and sh- and that's cool
1: but she goes yes i said sugar daddy let's call a spade a spade not be so damn ashamed of this term but it is
0: funny how like Regular. She's like, I wasn't a prostitute. Yeah, she's like, I wasn't a prostitute. I was a sugar baby. And that is, I, it is different, but... Later she's like, I love sex workers, but also I'm gonna make fun of them a ton.
1: (laughs) So going on the shopping spree with Mr. V kicked things off for my developing style and spoiler alert, our whirlwind relationship. He made me realize that I wanted something more out of my life than my fiance ever did or could ever offer me.
0: By trying on these incredible clothes, it made me realize I could feel good in my body. It is a wonder what like very expensive fabric and good tailoring can do. (laughs) Growing up, I was
1: tall and skinny. How was I supposed to look good in clothes? I also wanna say, Mr. V saw something in me and he wanted to help me get to where he knew I could go. Which is funny because then they later break up because she's not allowed that outside the house without him and she's not allowed to have friends and he puts a tracker on her car. So like where he thought she could go,
0: I guess, was his house in captivity. She was in New York with Mr. V and a little girl thought she was Barbie and she goes, that's when I knew. From now on, Barbie is going to be my patron saint of style. Which is so funny because Barbie, aside from being skinny and blonde, is style Like you put whatever you want on Barbie. You have teacher Barbie. Barbie can be anything There are just worlds of Mattel garments that you can put on a Barbie. There is no style.
1: She also says, I saw the power that my newfound style had in my life. It gave me the confidence to quit my bartending job and pursue acting. A big leap for a girl who felt invisible or not good enough for so much of her life. V's clothes empowered me to step into what I believed to be my best self and with it, my best life. She quit her bartending job because- Mr. V didn't want her to have a job. He didn't let her. It didn't empower her. Like He was just paying for her. And I will say, I, she was in an abusive relationship. And I feel bad that she doesn't know. She has a sense. She's like, it wasn't great that he was tracking me. (laughs) And yes, I felt afraid. And yes, I wasn't allowed to have friends. And yes, I wasn't allowed to have a job. And I recognize now that was a red flag. But also the way
0: that she's like, but the clothes made it so that I could pursue my dreams. But I was like, no. The way she talks about how unique her style is, is fascinating to me. She talks about like finding power in the colors black and red and says, I even saw my sister get married in a black wedding dress, which was also really inspiring. What can I say? Great taste runs in the family. So I looked it up and she, she also got married in a black wedding dress. And then one page later, she goes, eventually I realized it was an expression of myself that had always been there. It wasn't about wanting to stand out and be different. It's because I am different. Fuck, show me one other girl that can pull off a black wedding dress. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> One other, okay, your sister <laughs> who you copied.
1: <laughs> you know how we always talk about how these bullshit memoirs are equally illuminating because the things that they take for granted are just as eye opening about who a person is. The way that she tries to tell you what style actually is compared to like the common misconceptions, it really shows you what she thought style. So she says, there's a misconception that in order to be stylish, you have to have a team of stylists on monthly retainer. But it's so much more than that. Style is expression. It's a feeling. It's your reputation. It's your confidence. It's the sum total of the way you dress, talk, move your body or do anything else for that matter. I don't think anybody said the only way to be stylish is to have a full team of stylists on a monthly retainer. The fact that she thinks anyone thought that means that only she thought that. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) She just found this out recently. She's like, style is when you pay people tons of money to spend tons of money to dress you like Barbie. And it's like, no, that's fashion
0: and that's money spending. But like style is your inherent ability to represent who you are. She says, if you were in like a police lineup, what would they say about you? Whatever characteristics immediately come to mind will be the first things that tip you off as you determine your style.
1: Think about the people you know who have their own signature qualities aside from how they dress. Maybe it's the one friend who's got amazing cleavage <laughs> or your coworker who has eyelashes so gorgeous that she looks like a walking latisse. any of
0: this fashion?
1: I've never in my life been like, what's her style? Tiggle bitties.
0: <laughs> what's her wedding dress going to be like? I don't know, something in her style. Big boobs. <laughs> anyway, so then she goes, while well, it may seem like you're in pursuit of the perfect outside look, you can't perfect that until you're good with what's inside. So basically, once again... A style is a new, a new thing, so if anyone's keeping track, start a new column for what style is. It's actually, you, first you figure out what's good on the inside, and I don't know what she's fucking saying. She doesn't say anything, and then my favorite thing is she's like,
1: what would people say about me if I was robbing a house? They'd say, it's that tall chick with the long blonde hair and Victoria's Secret angel legs and fabulous nails. Maybe. But she's also always like, you don't understand how hard life was for me. I was so tall and thin. And then she'll be like, you may think life was easy for me because I was so tall and thin. And you're like, well, which is it? Is it a burden? And then she's like, hey, everybody is beautiful. Like, for example, I'm tall and thin, but you could be like short and stubby. And
0: that could be really cool, too, to you. She says like stumpy legs are also pretty. And I was like, I don't think that you would call them them stumpy. (laughs) Okay, so then she's talking about personalities and how aesthetics actually aren't everything. She says, my husband Christian explained it perfectly when we were dating. He said to me, everyone in LA looks the same. Everyone's pretty, everyone's this, everyone's that, but you're so much more than that. Everyone's that, but you're more than that. He told me
1: that he fell in love with me for my sense of humor, my drive, and for everything beneath the surface. So sweet, right? But also so true. So true.
0: Yeah, she reminds herself of everything that she feels confident about, like the way I carry myself and the unique qualities I have that can never be replicated in another person. It was like a switch flipped inside my brain. I went from thinking she's so much prettier than me to, yep, she's pretty along with thousands of other girls, but she's not me. She didn't have my spark, my je ne sais quoi, my little something something. I know you might be rolling your eyes at me right now, me
1: telling you that looks aren't everything, but it's 100% true. Okay, sorry, it took me a second to reread that sentence, but I realized it's because she's saying... I know you don't believe me because I'm so beautiful, (laughs) but I'm here from the other end of being so beautiful to tell you it's not all about being beautiful. But I'm like obsessed with the fact that she has to quote her husband on this, that she's like, my husband Christian explained it perfectly. We all have this thing on the inside called a personality. And basically what that is, is it's like the characteristics of your brain that make you behave a certain way. And those are important too. (laughs)
0: anyway so then she in her get bitchy exercise she asks you to figure out what things make you feel good what styles you like and then those can be your style she says also a reminder that style does not equal money even though if we roll back again to the beginning of this chapter when she discovered style what she discovered was that having money helped her discover her style And her style was money. And the only shoes that matter are Louboutins.
1: And then she goes on to be like, when you have champagne taste with a course-like budget, and she's like, for me, fashion comes from a place of lack. Growing up, my family was poorer than the average family. I actually don't think that's true. I think they were poorer than the average family in her town. The average family is not the CEO of Radio Shack. (laughs) It's actually like a very specific family. (laughs) Which for us meant that my mom would make our clothes. She knew how to sew, so she could inexpensively make us what she needed. God, I can't believe all of this is in one chapter so basically she's like I didn't have a sugar daddy at least not at the time and I wasn't exactly raking in the cash so she started swiping clothes from her older sister who was borrowing clothes from rich girls and then she said that she learned about the return policies and she goes I'm hella resourceful let's just say the Nordstrom has a killer return policy and I took full advantage of that when shooting season one And then she also says you can return things to Sephora. She borrowed a Louis Vuitton bag and returned that. She just kind of advocates stealing. She's like, listen, you don't have to have a lot of money to dress well. You could just steal expensive things. Yeah, (laughs) There's no like anything cheap can be made cool with a fun accessory or a personal twist. It's, well, just because you can't afford it doesn't mean you can't borrow it.
0: (laughs) So then she writes about her personal style icons like Christina Aguilera. She says, She was surrounded by pop culture robots like Jessica Simpson, Mandy Moore, Justin Timberlake, and Willa Ford. Everyone remembers Willa Ford. These performers played it safe and pleased the music executives, but not Christina Aguilera. While people applauded Britney Spears' virginity vows, Christina never bothered to deny her sex life nor defend what really went on backstage at the Mickey Mouse Club. What the fuck? With murmurs of sex and alcohol behind the scenes,
1: Christina was never one to sugarcoat things. She was ahead of her time with the 21st century feminist movement, so people were definitely not ready when she came out with that sex-positive, dare-to-go-there dirty video.
0: I mean, as we learned from Huso Tabs, Christina Aguilera was unfortunately crafted in a direct response to Britney Spears from a rival record label. Britney was a robot from one team, and Christina was like the battle-bot from the other team. (laughs) She was always authentic to who she was, and I respect that.
1: When asked about this iconic cultural moment, which was really like her coming out party. Coming out is what, a slut? Like, I don't know what even mean, coming out party. She said she didn't want to play their pretending to be innocent game. She wanted to be honest and truthful. She called dirty her fuck it moment. It was stepping up, owning her strength and the many forms it took on for her. Is she a boss bitch or what? That is such a truly psychotic reimagining. I guess she really took a Mr. Clean It a all of this.
0: I mean, truly all of this is in the rearview mirror with a Mr. Clean marker to the eyeballs. <laughs> she <laughs> says...
1: To say that Christina Aguilera was authentically herself and a feminist doing what the industry didn't want her to do,
0: which is be an absolute sex icon. Like, that's just not what happened. (laughs) Well, then the next one, the Kardashians also come to mind for me when I think of people with unapologetic style. I mean, they notoriously... Culture vultures. <laughs> Culture vultures.
1: <laughs> and then this is the greatest okay, line of all time. from day
0: one of Keeping Up With The Kardashians, I've always been particularly drawn to Chloe. For me, she was always the different one. And you now know I can totally relate to feeling the same way. But more than that, she would say exactly what she was thinking, popular or not, regardless of whether she thought people would agree. She has continued to set herself apart with style. I mean, I will say she has undergone a record-breaking number of surgeries to look exactly like her sisters. And then she said, I mean, that queen basically invented knee-high boots and hoop earrings. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Khloe Kardashian was the first woman to do that. In 2017, someone was like, oh my God, are those knees covered
1: (laughs) in boots?
0: (laughs) What's that dangling from your ears? It's like a
1: circle. (laughs) She famously coined the term hoops in homage to her husband, Lamar Odom. (laughs) A basketball star.
0: He was scared of knees. She goes back, we, we circle back once again to the fact that you don't need a lot of money to look good. And then she figures out when she enters the real estate world, she was trying to dress like a real estate agent with like blazers. And then she was out at a party dressed hot and people still wanted to work with her as a real estate agent. And she was like, wait a second, you don't need to wear a blazer. You can just be hot. <laughs> wait a minute. I remember thinking...
1: I'm dressed like a hoochie mama at the bar and you're telling me that you're trusting me with your listing? And just like that, it became clear to me, I could be myself and wear what I wanted to and still succeed. In fact, I was succeeding because I was being much more authentic, which translated into confidence and, well, more me. No one
0: respected me less for being me. In fact, they respected me
1: more. Imagine a man seeing a woman at a bar wearing a dominatrix-inspired Barbie-look bustier and saying, wow, I love her authenticity. <laughs> I bet she's a great real estate agent. <laughs>
0: hey, excuse me, ma'am, but I saw you from across the bar and I just had to comment on how authentic you seem. <laughs> and inevitably, in 45 pages, talking about style and nothing, she does have a couple decent lines. She says, I refuse to change my style because I'm a mother now. I like agree with that. I don't like that people don't like when mom's just hot and then she talks about a friend who just boring but she says if someone's commenting on your style so someone said can I read the whole thing because
1: I don't even think she knows what's going on in this story (laughs) so she says a friend of mine who worked at a celebrity magazine had a very minimalist style she wore lots of black a black tank top layered under a cardigan or jacket was one of her go-to looks and she always extended her outfits with delicate jewelry her boss the fashion director at the magazine once gave the staff accessories as gifts and she chose the simplest of the pieces for my friend This one is for you because you're so minimal and simple, like Jennifer Aniston with all your plain tank tops. It's unclear whether she meant this as a dig or not. She probably did. But you know what my friend said? Thank you. If someone is commenting on your style, it's because they noticed it. And that quite simply means you're winning. So what you're telling me is that the editor of a celebrity fashion magazine noticed your style, noticed exactly the kind of jewelry you liked, bought you jewelry in that style, and said, I got this for you because your style reminds me of Jennifer Aniston, who in the celebrity style world used to be a, style, a minimalist style icon. And they're like, wow, what a fucking bitch. <laughs> She's like, what a dig, am I right? And I'm like, I actually think you might be wrong. I think if somebody was like, oh, you dress like Jennifer Aniston, here's a simple, delicate
0: little necklace you might like. I'd be like, thank you. Yeah, me too. I just don't know what's mean in here. I don't know what's mean either. I kind of think it's a compliment. I think she should have been happy. I think she should have found pleasure in that compliment because sometimes simple, minimalist things can bring you the most joy, like from Dame.
1: Yes, you know what's
0: fucking simple? Jerking off. (laughs) That's minimal, baby, and it's joyful. You can discover your pleasure with Dame's thoughtfully engineered toys with discreet shipping, hassle-free returns, and a whole lot of fun. Dame sent us a palm. I actually use it a lot. Me too. I've been palm piloting, if you will. I've been piloting that palm right into the sky. The palm is a flexible vibrator that bends to your needs and contours with the shape of your body. The palm can cover solid vulva real estate, and it is a great way to de-stress. It's a great way to bring the vibe up. It's a great way to de-stress. It's a great way to set the mood. It's a great way to get the party going. And it's completely waterproof. So... Choose your place, choose your pleasure. Baby, go the distance. What do you like most about your palm?
1: I like how easy it is to charge, and I like that it works, and I like that the button placements are right where you want them to be so that yes. things are like smooth. You know what I mean? You can switch into gears. You don't have
0: to like interrupt what you're
1: doing to change the vibe a little bit. Yeah, the vibe is changeable.
0: You can get 10% off your first order at dameproducts.com with the promo code WORM. And, and what, Ashley? Speaking of your own health, physical and mental, Everly Well is on a mission to help you take action for a healthier tomorrow with at-home lab tests, vitamins, and supplements that will help you get the knowledge and support you need to become a healthier you. Because when you know more, you can do more. So using science to discover more about your body, just from the comfort of your own home, is what Everly Well is here to knock out of the park. So Everly Well is digital healthcare designed for you at an affordable and transparent price. So, I mean, one thing we know about healthcare is that you walk in, they tell you one price, you get a bill for 14 other numbers. It is so complicated. So having it all upfront and clear is already just a game changer. But with over 30 at-home lab tests, you'll be able to choose the test that makes the most sense for you to get the answers you need, like the women's health test, the food sensitivity test. They also sell high quality vitamins and supplements to support the information you find from their tests. And here's how it works. So Everly Well ships products straight to you with everything you need in one package. You take an at-home lab test, you collect your sample, you include it with, there's prepaid shipping to send it back, then they run your test and they send you the results within days just to your phone so you have an app it like gets everything to you as simple as clear and easy as possible you can also share the results with your primary care physician to help you with your next steps it's just so simple over a million people have used everly well to support their health and wellness goals and you can too so you and i are about to get the food sensitivity test
1: I'm like so excited because I've always like low-key wondered and I don't know if I'll change my life based on it. But I, I do like I will. It. Obviously, I'm not operating at 100%. And why is that? I don't know that I even want to be at 100%, but I would like to know. I'd
0: like to know why. For listeners of this show, Everly Well is offering a special discount of 20% off an at-home lab test at everlywell.com worm. That's everlywell.com worm for 20% off your next at-home lab test, everlywell.com worm. Worm So she talks about We're still talking about style She talks about supporting other people's style
1: I have a really great group of confident women Who are my friends Including total rock stars I admire Like Khloe Kardashian, Mindy Kaling, Lisa Rinna And
0: Lily Galici I can't believe this chapter is like 400 pages Anyway she talks about how When you have people that you support online It makes you feel good We've all got the same goal And so we shouldn't be bitchy to each other More on that
1: later Every day for the next week, I want you to pick a woman online or in real life and give her a genuine compliment. So another funny thing about this book is that Christine Quinn doesn't know the difference between having real life friends and (laughs) knowing somebody's social media intern. So she thinks like Mindy Kaling and Lisa Rinna and Khloe Kardashian are like her good friends. Yes.
0: Okay, so this next chapter is all about work. It's called Work Bitch, to quote Britney Spears. She says, bitch, stop apologizing. So she gives you tips for The Office. She says you shouldn't apologize so much. And she says that that's an idea she
1: got from a really great movie called A Simple Favor, which introduced her to the idea that women apologize too often.
0: She says she was in a meeting and a man was intimidated by her and she was Elle Woods and he was Warner Huntington III. Which is like not the right... No, he would be the professor who was her boss. Yeah, she made herself smaller for someone else, but then she realized that she was going to succeed. She needed to work with men who weren't threatened by her.
1: She was doing an interview, and she could tell he was really intimidated because she was so smart and like smarter than him, and that's why she didn't get the job. Just like how in
0: acting, she was actually such a good actress that people didn't want her. Yeah, she acted too good. She acted like she was too good for that job. She says if you feel inadequate at work, then you should quit your job. I wonder when she's ever had like corporate experience. She's giving a lot of advice for like the boardroom here. Girls, worms, if you're listening, ladies, Mm -hmm. if you need a job, just say you went to Juilliard and see what happens. (laughs) You could find yourself tending bar in Dallas. (laughs) (laughs) So then she says that you need to fake it till you make it. It's like a French proverb her dad told her. I don't know if you guys know it. It helps you in business. And then she says to find someone you admire and do an impression of them until that becomes you but don't copy anybody because you have to be true to you. I don't know what she's talking about. I, I really don't want work advice from her.
1: She says find somebody that you respect and want to be and channel that person. It's okay if at first you don't feel like this person on the inside. That's actually the point of the exercise. The more you try to emulate this person, the more their qualities will soak into your brain until it feels more natural to call upon those superpowers anytime you need them. And she says, like, look at Paris Hilton. She's a prime example. She built an entire career around a character she's not really playing, but knows people love and has a lot of fun doing it. So she is saying to be the most authentic you. That is someone else, but is also yourself. You need to play the character that somebody else is authentically playing
0: and then wait until you become that fake character that they are fake playing. And then authentically be that character that you are now authentically another office tip she says ask the damn questions she says that you sometimes will do your job bad because you just thought you knew it and you didn't know it and you could just ask and i that that is good advice
1: this is where she says i had a manager who discovered me yeah i know it's so annoying and cheesy when people are like i was discovered in the mall but i really did get discovered he reached out after i did my first movie shark night 3d that movie was not in 3d was it no I guess not on YouTube, but it didn't seem 3D-ish. So then she talks about how she works harder than everybody. When she started at the Oppenheim Group, she would offer to do people's open houses, And you don't understand the grind that sitting somewhere for two to four hours could be. And sometimes she even brought cupcakes. And have you ever brought cupcakes somewhere? Probably not, because nobody works as hard as Christine Quinn. No, I will say carrying cupcakes is very hard because you can't tip the box. That's not true. Not if you buy those mini cupcakes. They come in, like, individualized
0: plastic containers. Yeah, but if you tip it upside down, then the frosting still gets smushed, Claire.
1: Okay, but there's, like, 360 (laughs) degrees you could tip it. Do you know what I mean? Like, upside down is a very specific direction.
0: I'm just saying you're acting like it's
1: easy. (laughs) But I also don't think you're realizing she's not in New York, she's in LA. So she could easily
0: put them in her car, and the car would be carrying Okay. Out. And then what happens when you're in LA? You have to drive. And what happens when you drive? You turn upside down a lot. You had to slam on your brakes are a there lot. Are there a lot of loop-de-loops in LA? No. When you drive, you're constantly going very fast, very slow, very fast, very slow. Sometimes you turn a corner super quick. Sometimes you realize that was the wrong corner. You got a loop-de-loop back around. Those cupcakes are getting thrown across the. I'm sorry, I'm just not buying it. <laughs> Did you see that scene in Princess Diaries when she was trying to put on <laughs> pantyhose in the car?
1: And those are the cupcakes? yeah So then she talks about how she got that manager. His name was Rob and he was great to her and really helped her. Unfortunately, she ended up going to a different agency because it was huge. Well, I ended up sitting on their roster forever because I was just one of tons of other girls just like me who were represented by the agency until I finally got one job and it was huge. It was such a big role and opportunity that I never stopped to ask any questions about it. I just flew out to Miami and shot my scenes with these huge celebrities. Then they wanted me to do a scene I wasn't really comfortable with and didn't realize that I had to do it. Because I had never even thought to ask. But I went ahead and did it because I was too afraid to say no. And after all that, my part got cut down to just that one scene. I called my agent and was like, what the fuck is this? And his only response was, you got paid. What's your problem? That's business. I was heartbroken, just totally shattered. Not only had I gone against my gut and turned my back to someone who genuinely cared about me, but I never once stopped to ask something really important. And then after that, she kind of quits because she stops getting any other roles. And we looked it up. It does seem like the big break movie was Hot Tub Time Machine 2.
0: So if anyone's seen that, let us know if she's in it nudie and listen it does suck I feel bad I think that it is a shame that the industry pushes women beyond their comfort level that it like sees women as objects I think that is like an enormous problem that it completely misrepresented
1: the role and I am sorry for her it is just really funny to act like hot tub time machine 2 was you gonna be your big break
0: it is also funny to be like I was obviously a very good actor why else would they have hired me to show my body she was good at acting naked. <laughs> she actually
1: had clothes on the whole time, but she was so emotionally vulnerable and raw that I thought I could see Areola, but really We're it was just her childhood. so much
0: trouble for being woman haters on this episode. <laughs> Christine Quinn is transcends gender. <laughs> <laughs> she says, this actually I do think is good advice too. She says, be a quitter. Too many women falsely equate quitting with failure and that's simply not a belief that's going to serve you well in the business. I think that I actually- You love quitting. No, I don't love quitting. I like quitting now. And I feel like it took me a long time because I would do something to my limit and like do a bad job at it. And I was like, just stop. If you are able to stop, if something isn't serving you, don't do it. And don't like become a worse version of yourself because you're obsessed with not quitting. Yeah.
1: So Christine Quinn quit real estate. It turns out she got really bored. She's like, I don't know. Now that I have another option, it's not really striking the fire in my belly anymore.
0: I felt this deep excitement about work. Every audition was an adventure and I got a lot of parts, but no matter how good I was at the end of the day, did I really want to put my fate and future into the hands of a washed up? Did she get a lot of parts? I don't know. She was in Shark Night 3D and then she was in Hot Top Time Machine 2. So she quits acting and then she says real estate meant she could maintain her freedom, which is what she valued most in the world, which is what she learned in jail. And then she said she realized she wasn't lazy, she was actually good at real estate, but then she decided to walk away because she didn't like it anymore. She decided to focus on building her empire instead because she loves beauty, fashion, and inspiration. I also want to quote that. She said, get bitchy.
1: So here's how she's going to help you become a better worker because she is obviously like a business inspiration to so many women yes if you're an executive boss bitch your extra mile might be offering a no bullshit always punctual approach to work among competitors who may take a beat too long to answer their texts and emails so write that down boss bitches if you're looking for a way to go the extra mile try being on time Have you ever thought about being punctual? That's like heads and tails above everyone else. She also in this says that you should take Adderall if you're looking for a way to get ahead. She's like, (laughs) I wasn't lazy. I started taking Adderall and right away I started succeeding. Lighten up. She goes, look at the show. Do you think I got where I am by being afraid of showing people who I really am or taking myself so seriously that I was closed off? Instead, I made myself vulnerable. I didn't get caught up with being perfect every single second like some of the other girls who care way too much about what people will think of them if they get into an argument on camera or play ball with a little manufactured drama. She was like authentically acting as a bitch. Yeah, but being a bitch isn't even a bad thing unless it's what you're calling her. Then you're stupid for falling for the character that she is portraying
0: being authentic all the time.
1: Yes. Does that make sense? Are you guys following? No, what you're saying makes perfect sense, Claire. Okay, this is a great chapter. Mind Your Vagina.
0: So Mind Your Vagina is a chapter about dating and sex and how to trap a man with manipulation. (laughs) She says, to never settle, soulmates are bullshit, which is actually smart. She, so she talks about the first guy that she was serious with when she moved to Dallas. She met a guy who was just like very nice, but she knew she wasn't going to achieve what she wanted to achieve with him. So she ends up breaking up with him because she met Mr. Valentino, and Mr. Valentino was rich, and she was like, well, there's, there's somewhere a little higher I could fly. But with Mr. Valentino, what she didn't have was her freedom, mm-hmm. So she hated that. And she says, Love is great, but it's not the only thing that makes a relationship work. So, like, what you need is either passion or promise or freedom. You know, those are the things she didn't have. So she had to move to LA, which Mr. V did pay for. She talks a lot about how hard she worked to move. That was funded. <laughs> the breakup was he wanted me home and he wanted to do everything together. It was his world and I was just living in it. He also bought her a Bentley and he didn't want her to eat McDonald's in the Bentley. And then one day, she did eat McDonald's but she was very careful to clean it up and she got home and he was like, I know you ate McDonald's and she was like, wait, is he tracking me?
1: Can I say, I'm sure he was. Yeah. But I also think the idea that throwing away McDonald's removes the stench of McDonald's <laughs> is
0: deranged. Like, if you have eaten a McDonald's in a Bentley, I would know. And she said that was the final straw in her like, obviously abusive relationship which I am sad she was in. I can't believe McDonald's has been such a breaking point for her. If you don't let that bitch eat McDonald's, (laughs) she will cut you off. She doesn't care if you're her mom, her boyfriend, anybody. Her mom, who like twice survived cancer, she's like, that bitch would not let me have McDonald's, and I have no room for that negativity in my life. (laughs) Anyway, so she says the relationship was actually mutual because he knew that she wanted to be more than a housewife, but he offered to help her move out to LA because now that she, she didn't have a job anymore because he didn't want her to have one, and she's like, this is probably a good time to go. And he was like, cool, let me help you take the Bentley. <laughs> then she says, to be honest about what you eventually want with her now husband, Christian. She was 29 and really wanted marriage and a family. So on the first date, she was like, I want marriage and a family. And he was like, Me too. And she was like, Also, I'm not going to fuck you. And he was like, Me too. <laughs>
1: She didn't have sex with him for three whole months and she never texted him first. She never called him first. He had to chase her and chase her and that's why he liked her. And she says, if you want a boyfriend, you cannot have sex on the first date.
0: She says, smart, successful, good-looking guys like Christian just have to walk out their front door to find some basic bitch to join them for a dinner and an easy lay. But then she also later goes on to say that after she started
1: dating him, she did a little makeover on him because she didn't want him to look like a 1970s rapist.
0: Her words, not ours. Which is a really strong diss for the man that you had a baby with. I just think to say a hot guy like Christian could fuck any whore walking by, but... <laughs> I said, not until you buy me a house. According to him, that's what made him fall so deeply for me and want nothing to do with those other girls. If you want a guy to take you seriously in a relationship, you have to make them wait. I mean, that's just not true. That's not tr- Okay,
1: I'll never understand women who have sex with a guy they just met and then act all surprised when he doesn't call them back. I'm not saying that there's not a time and a place for a one-night stand, and I'm definitely not that girl who's going to drive by slut shame for wanting to get your rocks off. I've been there, but there's so much else that you have to offer a partner besides sex. So I'm saying it's worthwhile to give them a chance to get to know those sides of you before things get physical. This really subscribes to that idea that sex is a thing that you give a man as a gift. Yes. And that's something that you can enjoy. I also
0: want to point out that I did have sex before the first date and I'm engaged. So yeah, I am single as hell, but I have like tried a variety of different like I mean I've had sex on first dates and dated that person for a while I've not had sex on first dates and dated that person for a while I've I mean it's just like do what makes you
1: comfortable but for her to be like I'm not slut shaming anyone I'm just saying that if you have sex with somebody you're basically a worthless slut who will never be loved and that sex is a gift you give a man who will buy you something I have a friend, let's call her Karen, who, bless her heart, is kind of a huge hoe and she knows it. She was living with me for a little while and she would go on dates with guys and then be like, I don't understand. I gave him a BJ in the car, gave him a BJ in the hot tub, fucked him in the bathroom and now I haven't heard from him. It kept happening over and over and over again. So I'm like, girl, of course they're not calling you back. And I explained to her why. She got it, but then she met one the guy for Absolute Dreams and she was terrified of missing it up. So then she talks about how like, Christine gives the best advice and basically coached her through how to trap this man and now they're together. What
0: if Christine sucks at sex and she's like, every time I had sex with someone on the
1: first date, they never called me again. She's like, I don't ever want to have to convince somebody that they want to be with me and you shouldn't either. I do think that the games that she was playing, because she's like, Christian admitted to me after we got married that the reason he liked me so much is because I wouldn't have sex with him and I played so hard to get and he felt like he had to really work to get to know me. And I was like, to me, that's also a game and that's also convincing somebody that you're valuable because you're like artificially inflating how important you are. Do you know what I mean? Like playing that game and being like, I would never convince a man he should want to be with me. All I do is purposely ignore them to make them think they want me more than they actually do.
0: Yeah. I'm just like, I don't know, if someone likes hanging out with you, they shouldn't be able to know that on their own. If someone doesn't call you again, it's because they didn't want to call you again. And sex or no sex, that was the plan. And then she goes
1: on to be like, you have to have your own life and act really busy because that really interests men. Nothing is more attractive to a man than a woman who has her own life, her own hobbies and her own things going on. Mr.
0: Valentino hated that she had her own thing going on.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He was mad that she ever wanted to leave the house without him.
0: Yeah. He actually hated her hobbies. So
1: then she goes, there's also no shame in one night stands. Unless you expect to be respected or liked or loved, then you're then you're an idiot. And then she says, keep your own bank account, which I actually do think is good advice. She's like, even if you're a sugar baby, you should always have access to your own money.
0: I think you should always have access to your own money, but I do think it's weird when you're married to be like, we have to keep everything separate. No, I, I think, but this is more about like the sugar baby thing that she's like. She says, Christian and I have our own bank accounts and I encourage all married women to do the same.
1: I also I think she knows the deal. Yeah. I think if you're in the Christine Quinn line of love, which is finding the richest guy you can and being a arm candy, then you like do have to kind of be have smart a contingency about what's going plan. on. Yeah.
0: So rule number eight, end up with someone who sees all of your value. So she talks about how Christian sees the best in her. He always hypes her up and makes her feel really good about herself. And when she was nervous about this book, he said to her, You didn't get a book deal with a major publisher because of selling sunset. You got it because of you. Mm. I don't think that that's
1: That's not true. true, but I do like the sentiment. She says, a great partner will even cheer you on while you're doing it, but a truly amazing partner, that's someone who will show you things about yourself that you couldn't necessarily see on your own. I agree that that is a great partner. I just also think he's lying. And so then she gets into who Christian is, and she has literally sections called, how did you and Christian meet? They were set up on a blind date.
0: And she says, meeting people organically isn't as easy as it sounds. The only guys I was finding are the ones at bars, and let's be honest, who wants to marry guys that go to bars? you i i like going to bars and i wanted a guy that goes too.
1: <laughs> i did initially think okay this guy needs some fucking work and made him my new queer eye style project by styling him and insisting he grew some stubble on his face so that he didn't look like the 1970s rapist it was
0: eventually love it was love after he stopped looking so ugly and i realized that he was like rich rich
1: I also love that she's like, I didn't have sex with him for three months until I made him look completely different. And that is because I have values as a woman and I hold myself to a higher standard than you. And also I don't fuck uggos. My husband used to be an uggo.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So then she explains why Christian is retired. He created a food delivery platform on the internet and he was the first one to do that. And as we now know that that makes money. He sold it to Grubhub. We did some research. The number 800
1: million kept coming up. I don't know if that's how much he sold it for, but apparently like Like there was only three employees when they sold it. So he made a ton of money and they also accepted Bitcoin at the time. And this would have been like 15 years ago when it was $88 a coin. So if he like was sitting on a shit ton of Bitcoins, like he is just fucking rich. If he's sitting on one Bitcoin, he's fucking rich. How did Christian propose? They were living at the Hotel Bel Air. They ordered a Dr. Pepper and a bottle of champagne and a club sandwich. And he said, will you marry me? She goes, it was perfect. I don't need the whole Kanye treatment. I just wanted something simple and meaningful. He nailed it. How did you decide to have a baby? They got pregnant by accident. (laughs) That's how they decided. So then she goes into Get Rich AF. Money is power. And she's going to teach you how to get rich. And she talks about how much she hated her parents because they had a lack mindset. She's like, their problem for me was their views about money were just an extension of how they were hiding from the world. Are they still alive? Did they read this? Like, does she not appreciate? I don't know. Does she even talk to her parents? As I I saw it, money was freedom. And they were squandering every last bit that they had by saving it. I love they were squandering their money by not spending it. They were too afraid to see that if they spent $30 once a month on a meal that we could all share and enjoy, it wouldn't be the difference between paying our mortgage and being homeless. They had embraced the antiquated mentality that you just save and save and save and then you die. And to me, that wasn't living. Fine, but also then just do it differently and you did. Congrats. Like, you're not living like them. I don't think it's crazy that they wouldn't let you eat out a lot. I don't know, to be like, take me out to dinner, you assholes. We're not going to be homeless. It's such a crazy thing to put in your book, even as an adult, when you've got a ton of money now. It is
0: Insane. There's just like a lot of financial tips. You should be saving 20% of every paycheck. She says, I didn't get where I am financially today because I made bank and married well. A big piece of my success is that money that I saved every single month. So then she also tells a story at some point about how... In order to like manifest wealth, she spent every dollar in her savings account on a Louis Vuitton purse. That she was going to return and they wouldn't take it back. And then she was like, whatever, I'm just going to like manifest that this is who I am. And then someone left her like a $2,000 tip and she was like, wow, I made the money back. <laughs> and it's just like, okay, so do you save or do you spend everything you have or do you have a lack mindset? I don't, I don't understand what she's saying. She also says that you need to be investing, which is like true. She goes, try the S&P 500, but that is true. To say I didn't get where I am financially because I married well is... Yeah. A- she keeps me like, I
1: manifested the life. When I was a young, hungry real estate agent, I wanted to live in fancy houses. And can you believe I made that happen for myself by marrying the ugliest rapist I could find? <laughs> <laughs> and then she says, if you want to be a sugar baby, just make sure you always have at least a little bit of your own money. Like you can't be completely dependent on him. And I think that probably is good advice. That's really good advice. Go spend his money, but make your own.
0: Yeah. Okay, then chapter seven is Manifest Your Destiny and she says it's the most important chapter. Okay, this is just 20 pages explaining different methods of manifestation that she found on Google. <laughs>
1: so if you guys want to Google manifestation, that's what's happening here.
0: Yeah, I think my favorite one is, like you said about the house, she would do an open house for Crystal Hefner's house every single day and no one was buying this house and she was obsessed with the house. She wanted to live there so badly. She thought it was the most beautiful house and she like imagined herself living there and she would like bring her mail and say, I'm home every time she walked in to open in for an open house. And she was like, I'm gonna live here someday and then Christian bought her the house and she was like, I did it from hard work. If you are looking to just visualize a journey, baby, you've got to try June's journey. I tried it, and
1: I try it, and I love it. It was the first app I redownloaded on my new phone because I lost my phone over vacation. And man, was I missing it when I was gone. It is so fun. It's the perfect thing to just like fill your time
0: with and just check out, have a little treat, whether you are craving a good mystery or just need to get away for a while, June's Journey is the perfect game for you. You search for hidden clues to find mystery after mystery across thousands of vivid scenes. And with new characters every week, there is always a new case waiting to be cracked. There's a character named Claire in it, and I'm always like, wow, that's me. It is, isn't it like Claire Parker, I think? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: literally a game for me.
0: Anyway, there is a detective in all of us, and you can find your inner detective when you download June's Journey free today on the Apple App Store or
1: Google Play. God, I am so grateful for June's Journey, which is one of the things that Christine Quinn taught me how to do. Her final tip in the manifestation method is start a gratitude practice, and she says, it's really that simple. Be grateful. Say thank you. It's not bullshit. It's impossible to get caught up in the bad vibes if you're simultaneously feeling hashtag blessed. And then she goes on to be like, good ways of practicing gratitude is to do things you like. Go for anything that gives you instant gratification, whether that's playing video games, baking cookies, or knitting a fucking blanket. Then when your mind is no longer fixated on whatever shitty situation has been living rent-free in your brain, start filling it with a new positive thought.
0: Can I say, I don't don't
1: think that this is gratitude gratitude i've never looked at mac playing video games and gone wow he's so grateful right now and i can thank you for expressing your gratitude
0: so the next chapter is called the shame sham and this is about shaming women on the internet she says if we're really being honest with each other and ourselves the little voice that shames other people comes from something you probably just don't like about yourself True. True. Many of us women feel like we're not allowed to really let our light shine. So when we see someone else who does this out there and fucking owning it, it can be a little hashtag triggering. I do think that that's true. I do think that people,
1: when like they hold themselves back from something, it makes them really upset. When another person's succeeding. At I always it. say like people get really mad when you're not living by the set of rules they've invented in their own head. Yes
0: that's completely true but here's the thing here's the here's where it gets a little dicey because so far in this chapter I feel like we're all on the same page yeah so she goes we have to start to do better and here's where we start one
1: make peace with a girl in the mirror so she's saying like learn to love yourself and find whatever's beautiful about you this is where she says that thing
0: that anything could be beautiful even your stumpy little legs <laughs> And then she says, too, you can build other women up. So she says, you know, I can be a little naughty when it comes to being in it for the drama, but I never do it at the expense of bringing someone else down for bringing them down's sake. It's always rooted in the truth. So she says she's speaking on behalf of Lady Justice. She's not about tearing down a bitch just to make herself feel better. No, she's about holding up the things that matter, fairness, accuracy, and righteousness. Righteousness. Is being righteous a good thing? I always thought that had a negative connotation. I always thought that... Like, oh, she's so righteous. To say when I'm being a bitch, it's because I'm a harbinger of truth. (laughs) (laughs) And when you're being a bitch, it's because you're doing it for bitch's sake. When I was a bitch, it had to be said. And so then in this section, she talks about the people that she likes to bring up, her friends that she is proud of. And this I actually think is good advice. She says... I want you to identify three women in your life who you admire and think about why. And then you're going to make their day by sharing those reasons with them. So she does this activity with people she admires. Mindy Kaling.
1: Who one time she saw on the street and Mindy Kaling said that she loved the show and was obsessed with Christine. And she's like, no, 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 I'm obsessed with you. Remember when she called her one of her group of really good friends? Yes. So a woman you met on the street one time. (laughs) Anyway, then Khloe Kardashian. Simone Biles, who DM'd her one time. This is literally a collection of women who have DM'd her and she's like, my closest friends, these three women who DM'd me once, this book wouldn't be complete without me also giving some love to other amazing women in my life who inspire me and lift me up such as Chrissy Teigen a Miranda Kerr, Lisa Rinna, Tyra Banks, and Leila milani Cushbin. So only famous people. Imagine yes.
0: being actually her friend or sister. We know that she doesn't admire Amanda, the daughter of the CEO of Radio Shack, who's an absolute fucking dud. And then she starts talking about plastic surgery, how she's gotten filler, and she loves Marilyn and Dolly, and she says, she's like, I don't think it should be a secret,
1: blah, blah, blah. And I agree. I don't think it should be a secret. But also she's like, I never did it for a man. I did it for myself. And she's like, I like the way that it makes me feel sexy. I don't do it for a man to find me sexy. I do it so that I feel sexy. And I'm like, yes, when? When you're getting the approval of men. The idea that her look isn't for the approval of
0: men. It was, I mean, I know, she looks and she like she a blow up doll. I how she wears makeup every day, even to the beach. And it's for herself. And I think that a lot of women do wear makeup for themselves But
1: also because it's easier to just, like, feel better about yourself than to, like, fight the internalized misogyny of thinking that you have to look a certain way in order to be valuable. Yeah. Like, it's very unexamined feminism to be, like, actually giving myself a blowout before I go to the beach to hang out with my husband and baby is for me.
0: I was saying that I feel like a lot of, like, the TikTok makeup artists who do, like, crazy face paint makeup, I'm like, that's that's for you. The next chapter is about becoming a mother. And about how people are so mean to her just because she like looked so good when she was pregnant, and that's not really her fault.
1: Yeah, she's like, once you come become pregnant, everyone thinks they have the right to comment on your body no matter what. And I do think that that's fucked up. She said that she got canceled from a TV show appearance she was supposed to do because they're like, well, we assume she wouldn't want
0: to do it because she's pregnant. And I am kind of like. That is fucked up. I agree that it's just like very fucked up everywhere the way that people think that they can comment on literally anything a pregnant woman does. And she says
1: the hypocrisy of if she posts a picture of her baby, everyone's like, get your baby offline. And then if she doesn't post pictures of her baby, everyone's like, oh, so where's the baby? You hate the baby? You're not even with your baby? You can't make people happy online. No. So the epilogue, which is really the bulk of the story... It's called Steal the Show and it comes at the end and she talks about how she was playing herself and then she hates the show now or she hates the producers because they edited her wrong and a couple times they try to fire her. And then she gets into the fact that when she went into birth, she had a very dangerous labor. Her heart rate went down. They had to do an emergency se- C-section. It was really traumatizing to her. And then to come back one week later, she goes back and forth because she's like, at first people were so mean to me for going back to the show so quickly, but that was my choice. Sorry I healed so quickly. And then this, she's like, they made me go back after seven days, even though I wasn't fully healed. But then also, they had said to her, well, you'll go on maternity leave after you have the baby. And she said, I don't need a maternity leave. It's not on you to tell me when my body's ready. And then here she's like, can you believe they made me work so hard when my body wasn't ready? And I'm like, which was it?
0: God. Anyway, she says... Fans say I steal the show on Selling the Sunset, but what I'm most proud of is how I've stolen the show that is my life and inspired others to do the same along the way. I don't know who's inspired, but it's fine. So here's a part where I want to reference a previous section. She says, yeah, I might have to work with people who are boring, manipulative, fawning, or backstabbing, but what really matters is that I own my life and nobody will ever dim my spotlight. I want to flip back to page 70, where she says... Let me say this again for you bitches in the back. No one else is your competition. We've all got the same goal. We all just want to stand a little taller, be a little more confident, and feel at home in our own skin. So we need to be lifting each other up rather than cutting each other down. I I just want to reiterate that for the boring, manipulative, fawning, and backstabbing girls. Then she goes on to say, I've realized that I'm not meant
1: to be an ensemble player, a co-star among 11 others. I'm meant to be the star. I recognize my value. I'm so much more than one of 11. I'm one of one. We're all one of one, even though presumably some people should be in an ensemble. I even wish the other girls on the show realized that instead of trying to compete for alpha status. We all know who'd win that one. So here she's saying, we are all unique, but I am more unique and I wish women would stop competing because they can't compete with me. (laughs) And then at the end, she wraps it up by being like, it still hurts sometimes that the women... I was supposed to be friends with on the show could be so cold. She says they sent her gifts, but it wasn't enough. If that spotlight just happens to shine a little brighter on you, they should be cheering the loudest for you, not trying to block your moment. I never realized what a number jealousy can do on people. So first of all, she's saying like everyone hates her because she was the breakout
0: star of the show. Christelle? Christelle. Or Christelle. Whatever. Christelle actually has half a million more followers than her on Instagram. She says, I never realized what it, what a number jealousy can do on people. My husband put it so well. Me and my castmates have all been given the same opportunity and platform. We were seven people at the ready to go line waiting to run the same race I just happened to Usain Bolt my way around that track I didn't do that by pushing anyone down or tying anyone's shoelaces together I did it by being genuinely me I will say
1: her and Chriselle are the breakout stars of that show I would not say I would say Chriselle has a way longer shelf life because like Christine's intrigue is being the villain in that context whereas Chriselle is somebody like everybody truly loves yes I have to go line by line so She's like, everyone was given the same shot and I, I just happened to be faster and better than everybody. I didn't do that by pushing anyone down or tying anyone's shoelaces together. You literally were the breakout by committing to the villain role. She says, I did it by being genuinely me. Which is the genuine her of being an actress who was able to play a bitch that she claims was not really her. So it came as such a shock when the response was anything but positive. She literally says she went in there ready to play the character of the bitch and she was happy to engage in the produced drama. But then later she's like, can you believe that they produced drama? That's so fake. I mean, I she literally, literally
0: says, we were told that it would be a show about our work, about real estate, but little did we know the show was really about drama, most of which was manufactured to make good television. She
1: goes, it came as such a genuine shock when the response was anything but positive, especially because I always want people to win. If you're my friend, I'm going to be your biggest hype woman, but insecurity is a tricky bitch. So she goes between like, it's not a competition, but we are winning a race and I did win, but I'm not competing with you and I want you to win, even though like I'm a hustler who wants to win. (laughs) So then she says, I want you to remember this when you go about your life, pay attention to people, feelings, and circumstances that influence your (laughs) storyline.
0: Go about your life noticing that stuff is happening.
1: Call me over the top all you want. It certainly wouldn't be the first time, but I want you to consider living your life as though it really could be the next huge Netflix series. Because when you do that and you nail it, then you'll know you're really calling the shots and living in true alignment with your highest self. Which is interesting because she's leaving that Netflix series because she said she wasn't calling the shots and they weren't portraying her the way she felt That's she should be That's so to funny to
0: be like, listen, if you want to live in alignment with your highest self, you have to do it on
1: Netflix. <laughs> Pretend that you're being produced and watched. That's literally the opposite of like dance like no one's watching dance like no one's watching no live your life like it's being produced on netflix (laughs) plus i don't know about you but i love the idea of all us boss bees out there killing the game on screen or not and along the way i'm going to do my damnedest to encourage you prop you up and cheer you on that's the inspiration that keeps me passionate about my growing empire so even though selling sunset may have wrapped you definitely haven't seen the last of me stay tuned bitches um she would not support you if you were all at the track Like i don't this book makes no sense
0: yeah, I would say my final thoughts on this book are that it was a book that was technically a pamphlet, and then when you wrap it around backwards, you see it was inspirational. And then when you tie it back inside out, you say, hmm, maybe it was not even about Christine Quinn at all. Maybe it was about society. <laughs> I also this book was interesting because all in
1: all, it had about eight stories and six ideas.
0: There was no story. Literally. No, that's I not can't true. The that... Radio
1: Shack daughter who went on to become a waitress, Mr. Valentino, who was secretly abusing her. And she like may or may not know that right now. Also in the last, in the epilogue, she dies giving birth <laughs> and the fact that she didn't like, so there was like six facts about her life and then there was like four or five ideas. And what's interesting to me is that those four or five ideas are regurgitated a hundred times over in this book and they are not internally consistent (laughs) the ideas are be authentically you but be prepared to fake it until you make it fake being yourself until you become someone else we're not in competition and we should raise each other up but also it's not my fault that I beat everybody because I work harder than them and also find a sugar daddy
0: (laughs) yeah those are the premises of this book also style is something inside of you but also outside of you that doesn't cost money but if you're not spending money on it you don't believe in yourself
1: Okay, you guys. <laughs> this week on the Patreon, it'll be, uh, it'll be me and my Christian. <laughs> yeah. And we love you guys so much, and we're so excited to be back. Happy summer. Happy summer, one and all. Oh, and don't forget your summer worm merch. We got a worm on a surfboard. That's crazy. <laughs>
0: that is crazy. And do you know who I love even more than a worm on a surfboard? Who? A worm in the reviews. I would like to thank our five-star reviewers. This week, we have got Suze M.W., Meow. We've got Vocalized Baby Scream It From The Rooftops. Rach Colgison BBG. Listen, if you brought baby G watches back in style, I'd wear one. Thank you. Hey, it's Riley 2003. Oh, my God. An iconic year for music. Thank you, Riley, for bringing that back. Malcolm Montgomery. I would hike to the top of Montgomery Mountain for you. Ali Gorey. I'm pretty sure that that's a book thing, and I respect the hell out of it. <laughs> Billy Dog 24. Oh my god, the cutest dog. Sus K R H. Listen, if you think it's sus, I think it's sus. Canella Ba, the cutest little sheep. Leland Grace, one of the most graceful Leland's I've ever met. Maria Proko, an absolute pro at co. <laughs> Anna C Five One O Three. The favorite layer of spine, in my opinion. Sea dog Hoff, another cute dog. C-N-Krupp. I have forgotten how to do these. C-N-Krupp, um, just like my favorite meal at a sushi restaurant. Jolie Guacamole. Oh my God. There is nothing that brings me more Jolie than a fresh guacamole. Beth 04040404. I feel like we're in the matrix and... I love it there. Savmool. Delicious savory treat. So crush me baby. If you want me to, I will. Yasmin 13. Oh my god, the luckiest Yasmin. Benny Rivas from Malibu Rising. Bizzer Kurtzinger. Biz Kurtzinger, Kurt Singer 87. Oh you swing. Sing the sweetest tunes. So Gunnick. Gun it. we are racing S M G K W O C O N S N F N A. A beautiful password that I'll be using from now on a Pinkston, my favorite Weezer album. And that is all for this week. Thank you guys so much. Please hit us with your five star reviews if you feel so inclined. And if you don't have anything nice to say, (laughs) don't love you guys. See you next week.